Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Max Hers. Vanderbilt baseball play-by-play broadcaster for SEC Network Plus. He's been doing a tremendous job calling all the games so far this season at Hawkins Field. We touch on the Vandy boys with him. He gives us inside access to what goes on in the bunker, also known as the dugout at Hawkins Field. He gives us inside access. And we also reminisce on a couple years ago in Omaha when Vanderbilt beat Louisville over a certain pitcher named Luke Smith. We reminisce on the Vandy boys and dive into this year's season with Max Herz coming up next. We also touch on Vanderbilt basketball as they lost to LSU, but they try to bounce back tomorrow night against the Cincinnati Bearcats on the road. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe Black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 73 on a Wednesday, March the 3rd. We are in the month of March. March Madness is coming soon, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be a fun uh, time of this year. We're finally uh, getting some some intense uh, action on the hardwood coming up here later in March. Obviously, we are, as always, presented by the great folks at Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Unfortunately, my partner in crime, Will Byram, is not here with us on episode 73, but we will have a special guest, Max Hers. He is the play-by-play broadcaster for Vanderbilt Baseball on SEC Network Plus. He will uh, take the time to join us and and as we dive into the Vandy boys a little bit later. But now it's time to touch on the breaking news. We'll touch on Vanderbilt's loss to LSU down in Baton Rouge last night. It was a big loss. Uh, We'll talk about some of Coach Stackhouse's quotes. uh, And we'll preview uh, tomorrow night's game at Cincinnati. uh, This is a new game. It was added uh, a few days ago for the Commodores on the hardwood, so they will tip off tomorrow night at 6 o'clock Central Time in Cincinnati. And the Vandy boys will touch on uh, their series this past weekend against Georgia State. They took two out of three from Georgia State. And we'll preview Illinois-Chicago coming into town uh, this weekend. And we'll also give you an update on the baseball attendance. Uh, a little bit more fans. Fans will be inside Hawkins Field for this weekend against Illinois-Chicago, so we will also touch on all of that. Before we get to breaking news, do not forget to follow us on Twitter. That's at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. It's now time for breaking news. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in Westmead, 
The recycling dudes recognized the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, first we dive into basketball's loss to LSU. Uh, last night, it was uh, a big loss. Vanderbilt really, really struggled uh, shooting the basketball. They fall to 7-14 and 14 overall, 3-12 and 12 in the SEC as the LSU Tigers improved to 15-8 and 8 overall, 10-6 and 6 in the conference. Vanderbilt was down 46-24 to 24 at the half. They end up losing 83-68. to 68. They shot 39% from the field, while LSU shot 46%. They also struggled from the three-point line, 29%, and they were 57% from the free-throw line. Those uh, those three percentages uh, from the field are not, not going to win you a whole lot of games, especially when you're playing without your two best players, Pippen and DeSue. Jordan Wright led the Commodores with 13 points in his return to his home down at, at hometown at the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. The Tigers, as I mentioned, they led by as many as 24 points, and they never trailed in this game. Maxwell Evans... He, as a mistake, he actually led the team with 20 points for the Commodores as they next traveled to Cincinnati Thursday night. And, you know, this was just this is one of Vanderbilt's worst shooting performances. And, and especially defensively, they just they were they were playing catch up throughout. Um, Thomas uh, led the way for LSU with 20 points. Javante Smart also had a big game for the Tigers, <coughs> the Tigers, excuse me. Isaiah Rice actually made the start uh, for the Commodores and. Uh, Coach Stackhouse was asked after the game why he decided to start Isaiah Rice, a walk-on, and Coach Stack said, because I wanted to. And uh, that, that was basically the quote from Coach Stack. And um, again, at, at, at this point in the season with Commodore, with the Commodore struggling uh, as much as they are, um, you know, you're not, Coach Stackhouse has not necessarily been in a pleasant mood uh, after a lot of these games, and you know, reasonably so. I mean, this team has struggled. They're playing without their two best players. Um, and they're coming down the home stretch now. So we'll see what this team can do. They've got one more conference game at Ole Miss. Rebels are going to try to get revenge and, and stay on track for the NCAA tournament as Vanderbilt kind of knocked them off their pedestal. Uh, but before that, they play tomorrow night at Cincinnati. Again, 6 o'clock tip-off in Cincinnati for that one. So Commodores make a trip up north to the cold weather, and we'll see uh, how they fare. So basketball again at Cincinnati tomorrow night, six o'clock tip. That'll be on SEC. Uh, that'll be on ESPN three. Moving over to the, over to baseball, they took the series over Georgia State. It was this was a this was an interesting series dynamic. Uh, the Commodores they ended up losing game one of that series against um, against Georgia State, but they ended up starting Kumar Rocker in game two, and then Jack Leiter. In game three, and when you get those two guys on the bump in back-to-back games, it's usually not going to go well for the opponent. Um, and the way those two guys have pitched has been nothing short of unprecedented, phenomenal. I mean, wh- however you want to put it, this team um, has really impressed in a lot of ways. Offensively, you know, you're seeing guys like Dom Keegan step up big time. He actually won SEC Player of the Week, uh, so big week for Dominic Keegan. He went 3-for-3 in Wednesday's midweek game over Western Kentucky with a team-high three RBIs. He also launched his second home run of the week in Saturday's win over Georgia State. He had eight RBIs across Sunday's doubleheader. 
with the Panthers. The Massachusetts native, he connected on his first career Grand Slam and his third home run of the week with a deep shot to center field in the weekend series finale versus Georgia State. He collected 23 total bases last week um, against uh, the Toppers and then a few games against Georgia State. So, uh, again, what a performance from Dominic Keegan. Congrats to him. He is your SEC Player of the Week. But kind of a kind of a week two report, I guess you should say, is the Commodores. They struggled in game one against Georgia State. Uh, they lost four to two, but they came back Saturday. They won five to four, and then they played two games on Sunday. They won twelve to two, and then seventeen to six behind the arms of Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. And they will play against Illinois Chicago beginning Friday night, four thirty first pitch at the Hawk. After delaying its weekend series due to inclement weather and snow accumulation, the Vandy Boys opened their season with a pair of victory over victories over Wright State on Monday and uh, and then on Saturday as well over Wright State. So the Vandy Boys are rolling. Uh, this team continues to, to stay hot, and uh, they take two uh, on Sunday from Georgia State. And uh, they have no midweek game this week. They will play Illinois-Chicago three games this weekend. And then they play at Oklahoma State. It's going to be a fun matchup uh, there for the Vandy boys. Um, Again, and for that Illinois-Chicago series this weekend, we touched on this with Max Herz, our special guest, coming up. But they've announced that they will allow a limited number of fans and season ticket holders from the 2020 season to attend the upcoming games at Hawkins Field, beginning with this series against Illinois-Chicago. They will continue to evaluate the opportunity to welcome additional season ticket holders and fans as soon as possible at games based on the evolving conditions of the pandemic. Tickets will be provided at no charge, and fans will be seated within the infield seats. A limited number of students will also be permitted to attend home games, as you've probably seen some students in the outfield seats, and they will be seated in the outfield, as I just mentioned. Uh, And season ticket holders should receive an email from Vanderbilt Athletics to solicit ticket requests for that week's games, and attendees will be selected based on a lottery system. So that's great news uh, for for Vanderbilt baseball fans uh, across the country because we know they are everywhere. Um, And we will touch on a lot of that with Max Herz coming right up. He is the play-by-play broadcaster for Vanderbilt baseball on SEC Network Plus. He's also the host of the Anchor Down podcast. He works as a producer at 1025 The Game as well. So we talk with Max Herz coming right up here on the Door Report powered by Alaco hardwood, Alaco fine wood floors. There you go. Before we get to the interview with Max Hers, Vanderbilt Baseball's play-by-play broadcaster on SEC Network Plus, it's now time to send it over to Gary Scales for a few words on our presenting sponsor, Alaco fine wood floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco fine wood floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Welcome back inside the Door Report. I'm Billy Derrick. Not 
joined, unfortunately, by my usual co-host, Will Byram. But I am joined, lucky enough to be joined, by the man himself, Max Hers, the play-by-play broadcaster for Vanderbilt Baseball on SEC Network+. Plus. He is also the host of the Anchor Down podcast. He is a producer at 102.5 The Game. And uh, he looks, I think he's coming to us live from 102.5 The Game right yes, now. Sir. And he, uh, he is a 2017 graduate of Vanderbilt University. Max, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Billy. Yeah, so I, I kind of want to start with obviously the Vandy boys, and and obviously we do have basketball going on, but you are um, you're the guy, you're the man in the booth now, and and you know obviously it probably hasn't been much of a transition because you have been doing work with Vanderbilt baseball uh, before uh, previously, but uh, what's it been like, and 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 really just how does it feel to to have the Vandy boys back? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, the in, in the eight years I've been in Nashville, first four as a student, and now uh, four school years since I graduated in spring of 2017. The Vanderbilt baseball team has been my main beat the entire time. Mm-hmm. I've gotten uh, a chance to do a lot of different things with them, whether it was the sideline reporting on the SEC Plus broadcast, early season radio, a ton of interviewing for my podcast, and just for when I was a student, the student newspaper, the student radio station, and a lot of different things like that. I mean, this has always been not only what I'm doing from February through May or June, but also just kind of my year round beat. And I've taken pride in being the primary media for them really the entire year. I mean, they're, they're, I'm the only one there a lot of the time in the fall. In past years, I was the only one there a lot of the time earlier in the season. Thankfully, that's beginning to change and they're getting some yeah. season long coverage. But um, I take pride in, in being there for every move they make that I have the ability to be there for. And I've gotten to see, I mean, you could argue two or three generations of the team at this point. Mm-hmm. It's been a ton of fun. And to be able to take over the main play-by-play role is, is I just feel super fortunate. It's been a ton of fun. And I'm working with the same TV crew I've worked with for seven years, some great people, some of whom work for Vanderbilt, many of whom are freelancers and all of them love the team for the same reasons that all the fans do. I mean, these these guys who are involved in the broadcast, everybody involved looks forward to baseball season all year just because of how fun these games are. So especially with so many who have been at every game for years in the crowd, not being able to be there in person, we feel not only a responsibility, but also a pride to make sure these are as good as they can be. Yeah, you mentioned the kind of the the inside access that you get in. I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans can appreciate that because this team, you know, they have kind of that that mystique about them where you, you don't. It's hard to kind of you know crack the code, I guess, or get get inside. And I'm sure a lot of college baseball coaches of the like are are like, what's going on at Vanderbilt and West End? So um, it's pretty apparent there. They've had a ton of success, especially with with the pitching factory that that has been built there. But what, from your perspective, Max, have you learned and kind of um, you know, over the, over your your progressive time at Vanderbilt, what it learned about this program and and how Coach Corbin runs it. Yeah, and I th- I think you're right that there's mystique, but the funny part of it is there aren't really secrets. No. Like there's there's nothing I've ever asked a player or a coach where it's like we can't tell you or we yeah. can't tell you how we do that or we can't tell you mm-hmm. how we think about something like that. Like if you're there. I feel like at, I'm at the point where I can predict pretty much any move they will make. And when something happens, I can, with an exception or two every season, whether it's a strategic thing or just something else that happens along the way, I can say, like, this decision happens. And I can say, I'm 99% sure without even having to ask, 
this is why they made that decision. This is who was involved in that decision. And if it was maybe a split decision, this is the person who could have been pushing for that side of the decision. And a lot of that is having the chance to be in the dugout with them for so many games as the sideline reporter. And I think I was there for somewhere between maybe 80 and a hundred games over five or six seasons, wow. just as many home, as many home games as I was in Nashville for that were uh -huh. not on national TV starting in 2015, which was the first year of the SEC network. So, I mean, I I've been in, they call it the bunker. It's not the dugout. It's the bunker. <laughs> and that was even before the military uniforms. That's been just kind of a, a longstanding mantra. So I I've been in the bunker with them and I speak their language. I know what means what, I know how decisions get made. I know when something happens, what are they thinking next? What is this player doing? Hey, this player is doing this in the dugout. What does that mean? It means maybe he's coming to pinch hit soon, or maybe he's coming to pinch run soon. And on the TV side, when I was in the dugout, I was the set of eyes on the field. Like I can say, Hey, this pinch hitter is getting ready in the dugout. Watch for him to bat for this guy. If a lefty comes in or if they need a bunt to get put down or something like that. And I think the thing that strikes me about the program in general is there are really no decisions that Tim Corbin makes single-handedly mm. with the exception of maybe sender hold at third base when he's <laughs> yeah. approaching third base. Yeah. And even those are informed by information that he's given from members of the off-field staff who do their scouting reports. So it's, it's not like Tim Corbin writes the lineup card. He doesn't write it himself. Those are group meetings that involve all four of the on-field coaches. I mean, Scott Brown isn't in the hitting decisions as the pitching coach, but the hitting decisions are made by Tim Corbin, David Macias, and Mike Baxter together. They write the lineup together. Uh -huh. And then Josh Ruhutsky and Brandon Barrick, who are their scouting off-field guys who are invaluable to the program, are in those discussions most of the time, too. Those are the same guys making the decisions about infield positioning, outfield positioning, defensive strategy, bunt defense, things like that. And then all pitching decisions are made with Tim Corbin and Scott Brown together. And at times, I mean, making pitching decisions, it's, it's Brown's final decision. It's not Tim Corbin's final decision. So it's not like Tim Corbin has the secret sauce, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. the fact that he understands that he has put the people next to him. I wouldn't even say around him. They are next to him because right. they're his right. equals in every way. And yeah. in many ways he considers, I mean, he knows Mike Baxter is better at teaching the finer points of hitting than he is. Uh -huh. And I, I think I think as soon as the start of his second year, which ended up being the national championship year, mm -hmm. it was fair to say Mike Baxter is the best hitting coach in the country. And there's no way to really know that for sure, because I mean, who's who's going to see what every hitting coach in the yeah. world does? Yeah. That's what's impressed me is just how much of a group effort it is. And um, the standard they've set is so unbelievably high. And if you don't meet it, you got to fix it. And, and <laughs> if you don't come out of it meeting the standard, that's on you. That's not on anybody other than you. All right, Max, take us into the bunker. I know, you know, you said there's no secrets. So what, how big is that area? And I know it leads into the dugout, but where, if you're going out of the dugout, where does that lead? Well, the, the bunker is the dugout. That's what the bunker is. That's what it's you're referring just, to. It's just what they call the dugout. Yeah. Okay. But the, I, I know the back, the back know area a... is like a training table. I mean, it's, okay, it's where okay. the trainer would take an injured player. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So the bunker yeah. is the dugout. We have that straight. <laughs> and, uh, but okay. The training table, we know they have a training table. So yes. I, you, you touched on a lot there and, and, and what, what you just touched on kind of, uh, how coach Corbin is not usually the one, the sole person making mm -hmm. these decisions. 
Um, what, how, I, how is that, how does that process work out when, when he is making the lineup card and, and, and is that, does it really, does every game in and of itself, is that a different lineup card typically? Because it does feel like that. And we might see that even more this year with so many different combinations. And you just got to kind of figure out that chemistry of your group offensively. Yeah. And I think, I think he's got the approach down or, or plan a really is early in the season, you try what you can and you want your group by late April or May if health is assured. And that's kind of the last few years they've went on little runs. I mean, 2019. And then also, I guess you could say 18 and 17 too. That's kind of when they've gotten healthy. I mean, yeah. 28, 2018, JJ Blade was hurt. Uh-huh. They couldn't hit a lick without him he comes back and then they get on a run they end up being a two seed in clemson's regional win the regional get to host they're a run away from omaha and then in 2019 demarco's hurt yep he comes back he gets back into center field and his injury wasn't as serious as bladay's and they were playing better without him than they did without bladay the year before just because bladay even though we didn't really know it for sure at the time was such a valuable player demarco comes back They've got their nine and they go from there. So I think right now, just trying to find that best nine is what they're going to be doing. And then I think the name to watch on that front this year, obviously Cooper Davis is hurt. He should be back this weekend. And if not this weekend, good, good. after that. But I think the name to watch who they're going to be trying to find a spot for and seeing if he's in the best nine is Spencer Jones. He's expected to be back maybe a month from now, sometime end of March or early or mid-April because he had Tommy John, but he's uh-huh. a two-way player. So he can be a position player again. So they would like him to be able to play this year. And is he in their best nine? We don't know because we haven't seen him hit very much in college. Mm-hmm. But if he is, they're going to be trying to find a spot for him who comes out. And, and I think they just like that best nine to be solidified as quickly as possible. And I think I think the nine they've had so far, I, I think Davis will supplant Bolger when he's back just because uh-huh. – Bolger isn't a natural left fielder and they made a little bit of an offense defense trade there. Cause he's a good hitter as a new player. But I think the opening day lineup that lasted one at that before Davis got hurt, but I think that's their best nine right now. And if they can kind of circle around that and everybody keeps hitting, they may have it earlier than in years past. We'll get back to the hitting momentarily, but I mean, this pitching staff is, is unreal. I mean, it, what we've seen in, in two starts each from rocker and lighter is unprecedented. <clears throat> and you know that we all know that. Um, but I think what, what, what scares a lot of college baseball is the depth of this staff, the yeah. bullpen. I mean, you saw, um, um, you know, Luke Murphy come in and, and throw gas. I mean, all of these, so many arms out of this, out of this, this pitching staff is this, Max, the best pitching staff you think Coach Corbin has had? Is it too early to call this the best best staff he's had? I, th- I think it's not too early to call it the deepest. I mean, the okay. even, even if guys falter a little bit down the way and everybody's going to have bad outings, there's nothing they can do to avoid that. I mean, mm-hmm. even Murphy, who hasn't allowed a hit yet, he, he's going to give up hits late in games. I mean, somebody's going to ambush a fastball in the eighth or a ninth inning and hit a home run off of him at some point this season, most likely. That just means that he's pitching in the role he's supposed to be pitching in, and it's going to happen. But I, I think they have legitimately nine, ten arms that they will end up trusting Jeez. to either pitch with a lead or pitch in a close game come playoff time. So I think that's really exciting. I think the biggest question mark right now is if Schultz can remain the third starter. 
He had a little bit of a bumpy road just because his start got skipped the first week because they only played two games. So mm-hmm. he pitched inning out of the bullpen and was good, then came back on kind of a weird rest week last week to lead off the series. I didn't think he was very good in that outing. I, I just thought that he set a high standard for uh-huh. himself just yeah. because he's been very well. And I just thought that was that was the worst performance he's had in a college game. His control wasn't amazing. His command wasn't great. So I, I think Schultz will – I mean, he'll have plenty of chances to stay in number three, and I don't think they'll make a change on that anytime soon. But once the third starter is set, and it could be Smith going back into the rotation at some point, who knows, especially if Murphy continues to pitch well at the end of games. But once they set that starting three – I think they would like to have a set midweek starter too, whether that's Sam Laboki or Christian Little or McIlvain maybe could be one of those guys, but whoever isn't in that goes into the bullpen and they got their long guys, their late inning guys and the freshmen too. They've shown they trust. They trust Pat Riley. They trust Miles Garrett. They trust Hunter Owen, who's a lefty, which could be valuable. And then you've also got Grayson Moore in there and then Little, who who is probably going to be a starter. Yeah, I mean, that one, two, three is unreal with uh, Rocker Lighter. And then, you know, we all think it's probably going to be little there for the for the day three. But yeah. you, you mentioned, um, Max, end of last week, Georgia State game one. They went with Schultz. Was that Schultz over Rocker? Was that the decision? Or, or was that simply giving Rocker rest because they knew they would need him later in the series? Well, they had to pitch Rocker and Lighter on Monday against Wright State. So the – the opening series was pushed back three days and their choice was basically alter the rotation for the first three, four weeks or skip rocker and lighter. And at one point coach Corbin said, we might have to skip one of them if the series gets pushed back. And then the worst case scenario happened and they didn't play till Monday and they still pitched both of them. So skipping, I mean, there's no reason to skip them. They've got a plan to bring them back into presumably the Friday and Saturday spots in the rotation. There's a chance they get back to that one, two by Oklahoma state. If not, then I think the week after most likely, but yeah, they, they don't want to bump anybody up more than a day at a time. And that's also why they moved the Georgia state doubleheader, which was originally supposed to be on the Saturday game. It was supposed mm-hmm. to be Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday. They changed it to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, and Georgia state agreed to that so that they could bring rocker and lighter both one day at a time and pitch them on five days of rest, which is one day shorter than the normal six, but that they can be expected to start with five days in between. Yeah. A little bit of a taste of what they might get in the postseason and MLB MLB play when they might need them uh, because they will be there uh, pretty soon. I want to ask you now about, um, you know, this team and their ability to, you know, just play loose and, and have, have energy. And, and I feel like it started in 2019. I don't know if you agree, but the te- that team, they, you know, it took a while to develop, but they won the national title and they were hitting the ball extremely well. And it felt like a different vibe. It felt like a different feel of a Vanderbilt team. You had guys like Austin Martin and Pat DeMarco who are getting dirty and, and showing emotion. And, and, you know, they still had played a little small ball, but you also had Blade and, and guys like Paul crushing the ball out of the park. Do you think that has carried over? And do you think that's that's kind of when you saw a shift in Vanderbilt baseball as well? And 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 I mean, you saw Rocker and Grisanti uh, taking smelling salts in the dugout. I mean, you know, so th- this team, it feels like they're playing loose. They're having fun. Do you think that kind of started in 2019? Yeah, I think that team showed that they can win in different ways. And I think this year's team is the same way. Um, and I, I said earlier, I feel like I've seen two different generations in the last eight uh-huh. years. And I think the first one is, is the Swanson, Fulmer, Bueller, and then extend from there. Yep. 
wheel wheel Wiseman Reynolds all of include everybody <laughs> down the line like that's the first generation of the of the title winners and mm-hmm. then obviously there's a generation before that that I wasn't here for I got to Vandy in fall of 2013 so right. there's the 2011 and 2013 generation which is the Kemp Yastrzemski etc cetera, etc cetera, yep. Zomek generation go all the way down the line and then you got the Swanson Fulmer Bueller generation and then you've got the Martin Blade generation and now I mean you count Rocker in that generation because he was maybe the best player on that team but Uh now I I think you're seeing the development of potentially the third title team and you got to think when are they when is their peak going to happen because every year they've just gotten better and better and nothing is stopping the program from continuing to get better right now and they play like it. Um, they, they know what their strengths are. They have a ton of fun and I can't wait to see what happens when they get together with Mississippi state and Florida yeah. down the line this year, because it's going to bring out the best in both teams. And I mean, there's going to be a lot of emotion on the field. It's it's, I think we're going to have closer to the college world series style, Luke Smith game emotion more often than oh, not. Oh man, them. bring it on, bring it on. And nobody's scared of it. They're not going to shy away from it. And it's not that, I think it was just a different type of emotion the first time around. And these guys just, I mean, a lot, they feel like they're, they're worthy of being the best team every year and they act like it. The Luke Smith game, I think for a lot of Vandy fans was they, yeah. Vandy fans weren't shocked. They knew this team, they knew what they were and they knew they weren't going to show as much emotion as Louisville, but they were going to keep it together. They were going to keep it in as a unit because it seemed like slowly throughout that game, Louisville kind of started falling apart. You know, they, Luke Smith was, We'll admit he was being a little selfish and honestly ended up costing his team the game with giving up those late hits. But what does how much of, of that game kind of was a microcosm of, of what this program represents and and how Coach Corbin has has kind of molded them into these like mental like robots who, who don't really get affected by much at all? Because Luke Smith, I mean. That guy, that guy was was shoving. I mean, he was he he went what eight strong, and then ninth inning, it all ended. So what? How how would you say that game was kind of a microcosm of what Corbin has been trying to teach these guys? Yeah, they found a way to win in a game where they didn't win the majority of the innings, and they found yeah. a way to win one inning. And they they've always stressed play the inning, play the inning, just play the inning in front of you, no matter what the score is. And that's a lot of the situations they practice the score. Even when they scrimmage, the score goes away every inning. And then wow. you just gotta you gotta beat the top to beat the bottom in a lot of uh-huh. the situations they do. And some of those will start with base runners and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how they set a lot of things up to get them in that mindset. And then mm-hmm. it ends up coming through when they play. But I mean, a lot of a lot of the guys coming through their first, they went through the fourth trip in the order, top of the order in the top of the ninth inning. I could not believe they left him in the game, to be honest with me, you. Me too. Me I too. thought they should have brought Matt, uh, Mike McAvane in just to uh-huh. start the inning. But uh, I mean, most of the guys were over three, those first three trips through and they were able to separate, they were able to have good at bats. And another thing that I've said before, and I talked about this on the podcast I put out after that game, after I, I love doing podcasts at the college world series because they do open locker room, like a pro team. Oh, wow. So, I'm sure it'll be different this year yeah. because of COVID, but um, you could, they will put players at the podium for press conferences, mm-hmm. but then also at the same time, the locker room will be open and every player on the team is available for interviews. Yeah. So I would go in and I would end up getting a quote or two from seven or eight different people. And that would all end up in the podcast. And uh-huh. JJ Blade scored the run, 
and he was not in the press conference. He scored that. I guess it was the go ahead run. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The go ahead. Yeah. When they, when they got two uh-huh. and, um, well, no, he's sorry. He scored the tying. He scored the tying. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Paul scored, Paul yeah. scored the go ahead after he drove him in. So on the, on the RBI double by Paul, Bladé scored from first and he yeah. walked, he walked before that. Uh-huh. And I, I asked JJ, I said, um, what, what was different the last time around seeing Smith for a fourth time? Why do you guys feel like you got him? And he said it was because the hitting backdrop changed. Wow. And the games start at six o'clock there, six central. And Omaha is obviously much further west than Nashville. Right. And it's on like the western edge of the central time zone. And it's the last week of June. So it's the days with the most sunlight all year. Right. So at some of the ends of the games, like it wasn't dark yet right. at the end of some of the night games. So and the, the sun hitting went backdrop, down. Yeah, the hitting backdrop had finally solidified and he could see the ball better. Wow. And he worked a five-pitch walk. Wow. So that was a lot of it. And then uh, Paul gave kind of the more hitterish, less pensive answer, which was <laughs> I saw him for the fourth time. I was able to square one up. He left yeah. one for me and I took advantage. So I think it was a combination of those things, um, but they found a way to win and, and Tyler Brown put up a zero in the bottom. I would have loved to talk to Kumar Rocker after that one because he was showing as much emotion as I'd ever seen after um, after I think it was Paul scored. Um, or no, it was yeah. J.J. Bleday. And, and I mean, that was as much emotion as I've seen a Vanderbilt dugout show ever. I mean, it was really – it was something cool to see. And, and I, I mean, as a Vandy fan, you know, we'll remember that one the rest of our lives. But I, I want to kind of ask about a, a specific player on this year's team uh, Enrique Bradfield Jr., who has, I think, impressed a lot of people and has brought a lot of people back to Tony Kemp. Um, now, and Tony Kemp was, you know, a, 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 one of the better Vandy, Vandy boys players of all time. And Bradfield is still early on in his tenure here. But do you see any of those comparisons of just his speed and ability to get on base and even defensively? We'll see what he can do. Yeah, and I think with all those things, Bradfield has just played to his strengths so far. I don't think he's had a single at bat where he hasn't like done what he's supposed to do. Uh-huh. He, he is, it, it didn't seem like he was always this type of player in high school based on what he said to me. The one time I've interviewed him, it seems like he has taken the Vanderbilt speedster mold really well. And he has also blended that with his high school game, which was line drives the other way, a little bit of gap to gap type hitting, and then just kind of finding the gaps in the infield. And he has been coached and learned very well. He can use bunting to change the way the infield is aligned. And then from there, he can find the spots to bounce a ball through. And he is a very, very accurate line drive, ground ball type singles, doubles hitter. And as we saw in the game against Western Kentucky, with him, a single is going to sometimes be a double. Mm -hmm. And he has determined that out of the box. I mean, he he knows wherever – if if you asked him to turn around and close his eyes before a pitch came in, he could tell you where all eight fielders were. Wow. He could tell you exactly where they were and he can feel from where he hits the ball on that single up the middle to center. The left, the center fielder was in left center. He hit it to right center. He knew he was going for two right out of box. And because of that, he got it. So that's, that's the type of player he is. He's played to his strengths really well so far. I think he will have some trouble hitting maybe at some point this year as every freshman would but um I mean he's he's their center fielder I don't think anything would change that other than an injury 
Yeah, he's going to be fun to watch. He's definitely one of the yeah. more exciting Vandy players, um, you know, this season. And, and again, we'll t- we'll see how this offense progresses. But I want to kind of switch it over to the uh, attendance updates now at Hawkins Field. And um, obviously, Hawkins Field is usually packed with fans at this time of year. And then you get into SEC play. It's even more of a, a you know, an exciting atmosphere. How much of a difference has it been, you know, for you as, as you know, someone covering this team and being there literally almost every day? Um, has the atmosphere changed much? And, 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 and what, what kind of a crowd might we begin to be seeing, uh, you know, from what you've learned and from what you've heard for these SEC matchups, at least later in the season? So I will preface this by saying because of space restrictions in the press box, we have not been at the games when we've been announcing them on TV. We have been next door in Memorial Gym um, in what is normally the basketball press conference room with a couple of big TVs and announcing them from there. Similar to what basically every MLB team did this year. And Uh uh, it's it's kind of become the norm for announcing this year. And uh, pretty much pretty much every Vandy game all year for all sports. The announcers have not been there. Um, there, the announcers were not here for any home football game. I don't believe any of the right. road football games either. The radio announcers didn't travel. So this is just kind of the norm for now because the press box is usually pretty tightly packed. So some other folks needed to be in the booth that we were to operate the scoreboard and other necessary ballpark, things like that. So hmm. I have actually only been in the ballpark for really one game, which was the Western Kentucky game where we were not on TV because of basketball, but the basketball game wasn't until later. Um, it was, I mean, it was dead quiet in there. And <laughs> I've been on the field for a lot of midweek games, especially blowouts late where there's almost nobody there. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that, but you just know there's no chance of anyone even being there. So uh-huh. it'll be, it'll be really great to have everybody back. Um, I just saw the the press release they put out today. So I'm glad that will be starting soon. I don't know if it's said if it's starting this weekend or not, but uh, yes, it is. It is starting this weekend. Yeah. So it'll start, it'll start this weekend. Um, And you know, it was, it's just, it's, I got to get the, the official word on it. uh, And, and, and we will, but uh, basically um, Vanderbilt's going to allow a limited number of fans and season ticket holders from the 2020 season to attend uh, the upcoming games at, um, at Hawkins field against Illinois, Chicago. Um, and, you know, they will hold, they will still hold parents and, and stuff like that. So uh, again, I'm not sure how much of a difference that's going to make, <laughs> but you know, it's still, like you said, Max, it's, it's an eerie feeling right now. And, and, you know, yeah. well, and they're letting students into the outfield I saw too, which is great. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I know there are a lot of fans who would be very comfortable going. If I were a fan, I would be comfortable going. So mm-hmm. um, if you get a ticket, please go, please stay the whole <laughs> game, please make yourself heard. And uh, I know a lot of people's first question is going to be uh, how many games is the whistler going to get to go to? Cause I oh, believe we got to get both, the whistler in both, there. Both Jeff, who is the primary whistler and mm-hmm. preacher who, is the secondary whistler there. <laughs> they have to both be season ticket holders. I don't know that for sure. They have, but to. Yeah. They have to be. We have so to find a way. If they, will, if, they if, will be in there at some point. If they can't get in this stadium, we got to let them have an appearance on the broadcast in, in your guys' booth. We do whatever yeah. they can to to get that whistle in there because that is something I, I have, have been missing. And, and um, you know, this this team, they, they need it. Uh, they need the whistler. But um, I, hear it, I, hear, I hear it in my sleep. <laughs> I'm just so I don't hate it. I'm just so used to it that I even when is I it hear just, it, I, is it I white noise it. now to you? It's, yeah, it's I not... legitimately don't hear it. It's crazy. Wow. I think a lot of other fans, I mean, every other SEC fan hates it. 
they they just right. they they think it's the worst thing in the world, which I think is hilarious. But um, it's one of those things where Vanderbilt hasn't had that that type of um, you know fan uh, you know in a while in really any sport. But now we got it, and I think you know the rest of the SEC hates it, but we love it. So um, it is what it is. But uh, Max, I want to close it out here real quick with um, kind of a final question of this team, and and obviously we are very far out from, uh, you know, a return trip to Omaha, but that is uh, definitely not out of the question with this team and who knows mm-hmm. where, uh, how far this team could go there. Um, but do you think this team has enough offense to, to win it all? I know that we are still very far out. Um, but do you think they have what it takes, um, you know, to get into Omaha and, and even compete for a national title? Oh yeah, of course. Um, the, the thing to keep in mind is that, while it feels like Vandy has a little bit more back than they should say Hugh Fisher, maybe gone in the draft, if there's a 40 year draft, same uh-huh. for Cooper Davis and Jason Gonzalez. And then Ethan Smith was eligible last year too. Pretty much every team has that even the sec teams um, in Florida, especially. So that's, that's kind of why they're the favorite. Um, a lot of schools have grad transfers. A lot of schools have fourth and fifth year players. So mm-hmm everyone's a little bit deeper and that's going to be the thing that makes it both fun and challenging for teams that consistently go deep to go deep again. But yeah, I think offensively, I mean, they've, they've shown the ability to hit the home run in the first couple of weeks. And I knew there were players on the team with power, mm-hmm. but they only had three guys coming into the season who had hit a home run in a college game. Yeah. So they've needed guys to step up. Parker Nolan's start has been really, really encouraging to yes. me. Um, he, he looks, he looks jacked. I mean, he's, <laughs> he does. he's, he's an incredible physical shape. They've all made the strides they should have from last year. The fact that there wasn't a season didn't really stop anybody from making the jump they were supposed mm-hmm. to make. And I think one through nine, they have a really strong lineup. Tim Corbin said this morning that, uh, he doesn't feel like they have a three or a four hitter. I would oh, say man. Isaiah Thomas is probably a four hitter, but he says he feels like they have a lot of seven hole hitters who are getting better. And if you think about the guys who have hit seventh for Vandy, oftentimes those are damn good hitters. Yes. So it's kind of a group of line drive, move the move, move it along for the next guy type batters. Mm -hmm. And when you get nine of those together, we've already seen what good things can happen, but some of that has been against overmatched pitching. And again, they had some trouble Friday night in the game. They lost against Georgia state with over swinging guys were trying to tie the game with home runs instead of staying in, what they would call their normal offensive approach, which is mostly up the middle ball flight to right center and left center field. So I think as long as they can progress throughout the year, I don't, I don't think offense would be a concern. Coach Baxter will get them going. He'll, he'll get them going. They'll, they'll be ready by the time they get to Omaha, but Max, thank you so much for doing this, man. This is, this has been a pleasure. And uh, you know, it, it's been a pleasure watching you, um, you know, go to work on the broadcast. So uh, good luck rest of the year. And uh, we'll definitely catch up with you soon. Yeah, of course, Billy. Thank you for having me. Well, that does it for episode 73 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Huge thanks to my good friend Max Hers. He is the play-by-play broadcaster for the Vandy Boys so far this season. He'll be doing it um, as long as they are at home and on SEC Network+. Plus. So he's done a great job with them. It was nice getting an inside access to the program. Will Byram, unfortunately, not able to join today, but he will be back for episode 74. For myself, Billy Derrick, and our special guest today, Max Hers, you've been listening to episode 73 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.